Coming up this week, we discuss the League 2 ODIs between UAE and Oman and the thrilling finish. Well, thrilling to most of us anyway. We'll get to that. Plus, a look at the upcoming T20 World Cup A qualifier and more. But first, a shout out to our friends on Patreon. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Up next, a lot to discuss in the Emerging Game. Welcome in again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast, live and online on Spotify and everywhere where you are listening to podcasts and also on Sport FM in Perth. Daniel Beswick, Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler with you to discuss the week in Emerging Cricket. We're slowly getting back into the rhythm. I still haven't found that script. (laughs) Uh, I've decided to go off piece yet again, boys. Welcome in. Uh, How are we all doing? Tim, it looks like you've survived uh, the cyclone in in Port Vila. Would you care to uh, elaborate on everything going on over there? Well, I think I've completed my bingo card eight months in. I think I mentioned last week the uh, earthquakes, the biggest one, 5.2 right underneath, making me run faster than I had in my life to stop the TV from toppling over. (laughs) Eruptions of multiple Vanuatu volcanoes, tsunami resulting from the Tongan subsea eruption, and now screaming out with my card held aloft, I've got my first cyclone. Uh, as of yesterday so yeah pretty intense the well, the storm didn't come out of nowhere there were no warnings and then all of a sudden red alert uh, and it went straight to cyclone status so for those that were relying on alerts to inform decisions about getting to safety I'd, it was suboptimal but uh, thankfully those of us in in places that were pretty well fortified were okay but uh, yeah so everyone's been home the last two days I think I've ventured into the office here at Indy Park, which is almost a bit like a shelter in itself. And I think the world's healing because I can already hear some uh, some kids hanging around outside. So look, the kids are able to uh, hang around outside and do whatever kids do these days. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe that, that means it's okay. But uh, yeah, the, the weather really has been leading up to this. You could, you could feel it. Um, so it looks like it's going to head south, although it's been kind of doing circle work in between us and New Caledonia. So doesn't bode well for for Tanner, which is uh, south of us. But then, you know, some predictors have it heading down in New Zealand and only intensifying. So, yeah, he's hoping that isn't true and it just disappears. But uh, otherwise, all right, Daniel, you don't have your script again. You're on holidays. You're wearing a jumper. It's summer. The aircon's on. How are you? Uh, There's a lot of explaining here to do. So we've got the aircon on pretty cold in the room. It's been sort of humid outside we had a a storm of our own here on the south coast and just sort of been running around and doing plenty of stuff in the heat and and felt you know a change was in order and I must say I'm feeling quite comfortable but I think I finally found my peak of too much cricket Uh, in other words (laughs) yeah look it got to a point at the start of this week where I was just a little bit exhausted by it I, I must say I still watched league two fixtures and we'll talk about that in a few moments but yeah look it's it's been one of those times where I've been able to sit down and and run around and and not have to worry about too many responsibilities and 
It's when you kind of realise at that point, oh, you know what, I think I've found my threshold for too much cricket. But anyway, we will we will rebuild, I will pick up, and I will carry on keeping calm and all of that. Nick, how are you doing this week? <laughs> We've left him alone again, haven't we? He's just <laughs> poor old Nick. Oh, it's all right. No, busy, busy day. Had work, had my booster shot. Mowed the lawn, been been pretty productive. Um, I've also just finished watching, uh, and here's another Scandi Noir series for you, Tim. It's on Netflix. It's Danish. It's called Castagna Man. I mean, the chestnut man. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You speak Danish now. Yes, I, I speak <laughs> fluent Danish as long as there are English subtitles. <laughs> I'm just watching it myself after a bit of a delay about halfway through. I'm enjoying it. No, I, I really enjoyed it. It was um, about uh, this... A serial killer who leaves these creepy little uh, chestnut figurines at, at the murder scene, which is it's a very um, it's a sort of traditional Danish kids' activity where what, you're murdering people. Well, maybe that. I mean, based on based on their TV series, maybe it is. But um... <laughs> there are plenty of them in the TV series. It must just happen every day in Copenhagen. But yes. <laughs> well, um, I mean, not not to get on too much of a tangent, but I was listening to an interview with the um, the Icelandic prime minister and her theory on why uh, the Nordic countries love crime fiction so much is because it's actually so little crime so it's, mm. it's exotic and interesting but um yes yeah castagna man so the the little figurines are something kids make they make they put little sticks or toothpicks in them to make animals or, or you know men and women and um so it's sort of subverting some uh, cultural tropes in, in denmark which is yeah very interesting nice no i'll uh, try and finish it over the weekend it doesn't doesn't look like there's gonna be many ball sports played outside so i may have uh, <laughs> have a little bit of time Make sure you let us know where you are listening to the podcast with the hashtag ECPod, of course, when you're not watching some Scandinavian television. Let's jump into Cricket World Cup League 2 action and finally making up a a bunch of fixtures here for a number of reasons. I think we can all safely say that this competition is cursed. We've had rain in UAE during this competition. We've had, obviously, COVID and then we had... Well, previous to that, we had the death of Sultan Qaboos bin Said in Oman, uh, finally making up some matches in the form of, I suppose, a bilateral series for the a lack of a better term here. UAE taking on Oman. And UAE again showing, uh, in terms of their rebuild, so to speak, after the debacle that was cricket in UAE in circa 2019. They're, they're rebuilding excellently, talking as you did, Nick, to, to Ahmed Raza, talking about the rebuild in UAE cricket, and it all looks fairly strong in the form of two wins and a thrilling tie. Well, at least thrilling to, to most of us. We'll get to that in a moment. But Keep your powder dry. We've got a big runway. We'll get to that bit. UAE winning the first two one-day internationals, as we said, the tie in the third. The first, UAE chasing down a target of 308, which is Rather rare in associate cricket one day internationals full stop, but you know to to be able to do it against a strong team like Oman, off the back of the work of Rita Aravind and, and Chirag Suri scoring that ton at the top of the order, uh, in match two chasing down 196 with little fuss, winning by four wickets, but with over four overs remaining. We'll get to that as well, and then the, the tie in match three. So in the context of the table, of course, it's it's great news for UAE. They've only played 10 matches uh, as a part of Cricket World Cup League 2 and amassed 12 points, five wins, three losses, and that tie. Oman doing the early running well in front on 30 points with 14 wins, but they've also played 23 matches, which is seven more than the next most in, in the US. So to start off with, Nick, it was great for UAE away from home to, to do the business, win 
two matches, tie the third, I think they'll be extremely happy with uh, flying in and flying out with yeah, with two wins and a tie. Yeah, puts them in a pretty good position on the points table. Um, you know, looking good. Five wins from ten games with a tie and a no result, so only three losses. I think, you know, the young players that we've seen, and we, we did talk to Ahmed Raza about that a couple of weeks ago, um, they, they were the ones doing business for UAE in terms of the run chases. You know, um, Chirag Series 115 was a very impressive knock, I thought. He was really patient, and he chose his moments to attack, and, and it was one of those innings where he just didn't really look like getting out. He just sort of knew what he was doing, and, and it was really mature from one of the younger players, and um, Vritya Aravind, who's, who's been talked up for a while, 180-run uh, partnership in that chase, uh, 89 off 93, looked really fluent at the crease, and he places it well, and he runs well between the wickets, but the thing that I think is, is most impressive is just the way he has time on his shots, which is kind of a, a, a nebulous idea in cricket but you know he just looks like he he knows which shot he's going to play and he always has time to play it he's unhurried at the crease I think he's a huge talent for them going forward um but back to Chirag Suri it was good pickup uh, stat from PDP. His previous best in 17 ODIs was 67. So it's good to see him pulling it together after a, a little run in the team. You know, in, in that first game, again, Oman, I, th- I think this might have been their highest uh, ODI score that they've ever posted. So a bit unlucky for them to, to lose after that. Jatinder Singh smashed 100, better than a runner ball. And, you know, he's just proving again why he's such a talent at the top. Played his shots really well. And, and he looks so good when he gets going, doesn't he? Oh, to, yeah, to think of scoring a, a hundred in a losing cause, uh, it's unfortunate, <laughs> but what's the great cricket alliance? It's the best It's the best thing that can happen. I, I did want to shed a light on potentially a bit of an unsung hero. I, I will first talk about Vrita Aravind, though, and we saw his talent through the Under-19 World Cup in 2020, and we've seen the evolution of, of UAE in Under-19 cricket at this year's Under-19 tournament as well, so... There looks to be a decent pipeline in UAE cricket, and we've actually brought that up not only last week, but Nick and, and Tom, you guys talking about uh, all of this with Ahmed, who who made the same points, but the sound off of Rita Aravind's bat mm. is just one of my favourite things in associate cricket. It sounds like a gunshot. The man whacks them, um, and, and he's a handicapper as well, and you would like to think that he's the type of player that will feature in this side for a long, long time. We didn't really see, well, we didn't see it all. Uh, Mayapan and his leg spin at all, but one player that I did want to, I suppose, spotlight uh, over the course of the series is Basil Hamid, mm. a bit of an unsung hero with both ball and bat, made 61 off 33 with six fours and two sixes in that successful chase in the first match. Didn't take a wicket, unfortunately, but then he was player of the match in game two, taking five for 17. And whilst not chiming in with the bat on that particular occasion, he came out in the third match took two for 26 and then made a pretty solid 26 off 29 balls. He's a player that that sort of falls and flies under the radar a little bit in this UAE team. And you have to say there's quite a bit of depth here and we'll come up and talk about it in in the T20 World Cup qualifier as well. But with that strike rate, with that hitting ability and his ability to bowl decent off spin as well, he could well play a huge part in the qualifiers coming up. But you look at the rest of this UAE team too, and Kashif Dowd, I thought he was quite good with the ball, but he also chimed in with the bat at different times when they needed him to. So I look at this UAE team, and it's been almost a blessing in disguise, the fact that they had to sort of knock it all down and and rebuild again. And it's just looking like the, the phoenix of UAE cricket is rising. And 
come the T20 World Cup, it's just another team to throw in the mix in terms of it being really competitive at, at this level of the game, at least. We'll talk about Oman, I think, as well, because yes, they are in front. They are topping the table, but it's clear to see if you are to look at the table that they've played way more games than everyone else. They're seven matches in front of of the next most in the USA, as we mentioned before. One, I think, overarching theme of Oman cricket, and we've mentioned this 15, 20, 25 times over the course of the EC pod, is that Oman are an inconsistent team and didn't progress in the T20 World Cup. We also know that at their best, they can beat anyone. That includes a red-hot Namibia, who we'd probably put at the the top and centre of associate cricket at the moment. Nick, where did you kind of see this as a bit of a yardstick? They come up up against a strong team, a strong rebuilding team at home in Alamara, can't win a match in the three. Is this more about UAE being good or is this potentially a chance for Oman to really sit and reassess? Because depth isn't a problem. They've got 20 players who could play in this international team. It's coming back now into 50 over cricket and having to find that 11 that will do the business moving through this pathway pathway of Cricket World Cup qualifying. Yeah, it is It is a bit of a recurring theme in that they've sort of got almost 10 all-rounders in the team, you know, a lot of guys who can contribute with bat and ball, but there's there's always been this question mark about what the, you know, what the best 11 is and what the best lineup uh, within that even would be. Um, and, you know, there's got a lot of guys like Nestor Damba who um, took wickets and, and, you know, he sort of hadn't done much in the first two games. In the third, he, he was the star with the ball. So, I don't know, it's, it's kind of just this question of, of who slots into that middle order. You know, you've got Zushan Maksud, who's, who's a lock. Akib Ilyas is out for a number of months with, um, what, what is it? A, a... It's a bone tumour, and I think he said it wasn't cancerous, but right. he's out for about six months. And we send our best wishes because he is a jet, and, and they did miss him, especially with the bat. We know how good he is with the bat, but with the ball as well, bowling his off spin of his own, that that's a big out. And if he does it now, there's a very good chance that, yes, come... T20 World Cup time and, and yes we know that they've got to get through and, and qualify for all of that all over again but you would like to think that that was the best decision it sounds like everything's been taken care of but it's a long injury to, to be sidelined for so yeah wishing him the best and yeah that's a good point Nick that you've brought up do we know what the story is with Mohammed Nadim I always thought about him as the 15 year old who dad owned the team batting five every single match and then <laughs> bowling his full complement of overs is it geez he's got similar age to me a little bit a couple of days younger he's almost 40 we've seen the last of Mohammed Nadim I mean you you would think so, but he always seems to find his way back into the team, doesn't he? And there's one point here that I, I wanted to bring up as well because that spot in the team has been taken up by Sandeep Gowd, it seems. And just looking at Sandeep Gowd's numbers, he played a, a flummoxing innings. He, he made six off 20 in the tied match where they were bowled out for 214 and he came in I think with about 12 overs to go and the innings was look it, yeah I think the less said about that particular innings the better but he only bowled one over in the first match went for 10 didn't bowl again made 19 off 21 in that first match then bowled just two overs in the second match and as for the third match didn't bowl at all and made that six or 20. So that role is potentially somewhere where, yeah, we could look at, at the, the way Zishan leads the team as well. And, and I think, Nick, you made the point in our notes that Zishan had a solid series, but it wasn't 
anything to write home about. And when you lose two matches out of three and don't win the other one as captain, there are certainly questions that need to be asked. Well, I think he was just a little too conservative in this series. Um, and you notice that defending the small total um, you know, he, he, in the second match, he, he just kind of left the game drift. And you know they, they weren't a lock to chase it down, especially with um, you know CP Rizwan, who hit 76 off 116. You know That's a, a slow innings. And you know they, they were knocking it about, but the run rate was climbing. And I just feel like he could have brought back Bill Alcan and Kalamula, or you know, Kay Ulla as the uh, the <laughs> on-screen graphic likes to call him. Um, who, when Maxud did bring those two, uh, you know, his, his strike bowlers back, they picked up three quick wickets and and sent a bit of a wobble into the UAE camp. You know, Bilal's first wicket was yeah, a, a really good piece of fast bowling. He got hooked for six by Muhammad Usman. You know, it was a really nice shot. You know, textbook stuff. And then he followed it up with you know the in-swinging Yorker and, and ripped out the stump. So that was a, a good little battle. And um, yeah, I, I just think Bilal Khan's your trump card. He's, he's going to look to take wickets every time. And when you're defending a low score, you really should be trying to get wickets as, as much as possible. And yeah, Zishan was just a bit too conservative and, and happy to let it kind of fade away. And you know, not taking anything away from UAE, who timed the chase really well. Um, Suri and Aravind, again, they contributed um, rather than you know being a bit more aggressive like they did in the first match. They were kind of modulating their scoring and, and the situation was they had a bit more time and so they, they were a bit more conservative. So that was also encouraging in terms of their temperament. But uh, yeah, Maxwood's captaincy, I don't know. He, he's, he's certainly a lock for the captaincy for the foreseeable future. But um, as, as you were alluding to there, Bez, the, the problem with their lineup just seems to be they've got a number of guys who kind of all do the same thing you know they sort of bat somewhere in the middle order floating around and bowl a few overs here and there and you're not quite sure why any of them are really in the team um so you've kind of got yeah you you've got Jatinder Singh at the top Zishan Maksud in the middle somewhere you know Kalamula Bill Alkan and then between all those guys there's a lot of gaps and you're sort of a, a rotating cast of characters that could be any number of, of players and um, yeah it'll be interesting to see who they go with in, in most of those you know, <laughs> blank slots uh, especially as we come into the T20 qualifiers. Yeah, just not sure what they want from Kawali either. In the third match, he, he batted in the middle order and they had Prajapati and Jatinder Singh open. And you would think with Ilyas out, the, the, the logical reasoning would just to play Kawali always at the top and, and play Prajapati in, in the middle order who seems like he can tick things over easily. Anyway, I digress. People are in charge and, and make those decisions watch a lot more of Oman and, and Oman's training that we do. Should we talk about the finale of the third one day international? Because <laughs> Go on, Bears. I think the three of us have a big bugbear here. So that third match, as we know, ended in a tie. And it was a great finish. And having to, to go back and, and watch it again to almost digest and take in everything that happened in those final few overs. That was one of the best finishes that we've seen in associate cricket especially in the one day format we've had in a little while and we were lucky we were there in Namibia to watch the Namibia USA one day game at Wanderers during World Cricket League 2 and that's one of the only matches that I can really sort of put up towards this particular match but I've got to say I was really disappointed with the way that it was covered at the very end and there's one individual it being the commentator where a lot of the attention 
sort of drives to and it was poor (laughs) to put it mildly the commentary for the last ball even the last over going back a little bit further was was poor I mean this is a one-day international which is part of the 2023 qualification and it, it sounded like he just rolled out of bed you know he's done the best part of 100 overs here covering this match we've reached the dramatic conclusion we've gone through all the ups and downs all the ebbs and flows of this match And it sounds like he's watched cricket for the first time. Either that or he must watch exciting games every time he goes out (laughs) here because the way he reacted to it suggests to me that he had absolutely no interest in this whatsoever. And this is the huge bugbear for me. It's that we've got to sell associate cricket to all cricket fans, right? It's already difficult enough having to try and sell these games it's great that we've got a stream for it and, it and it's great that this entire tournament has been visible to the public. That's a win. But, you know, we've got to sell cricket. We can't just expect people to rock up and, and watch it and go, oh, yeah, that's great. And, and this is a wide overarching thing in associate cricket where I think a lot of boards and a lot of media outlets actually don't do themselves any favours with a lack of exposure and a lack of coverage. And we know that this is hard. We know that a lot of places aren't professional. People aren't being paid a whole lot of money to do this. But I think it's about acting professional at some point too and trying to put some of these thoughts into an article this week on the site as well. You know, it's a line that I hope is lost in the annals of, of LinkedIn, but dress up for the job that you want, not the job that you have. In that, you know, you've got to try and sell this to people. You've got to, you've got to give it some gusto. That was a quality finish. And the way that it was covered was almost as if, you know, it was just another run-of-the-mill game of park cricket on Saturday. You know, it's hard enough selling now associate cricket to associate cricket fans now because we've got a lot of cricket around. We've got the ACL starting already. So there's already attention for eyeballs. How are we selling the game if we can't sell it to the people who loved it in the first place. Now, this clip of the final over obviously is on ICC TV already, so it's there. The ICC digital team clipped up the entire final over to post on social media. And if you read through all the comments, it's the same thing. Is this commentator asleep? What is he trying to do? There were so many people trying so hard to make this cricket marketable and to sell it to people and to make it exciting. And the players on the field do a great job. The 11 players on each side do a wonderful job of selling the game because it's entertaining. It's been good cricket. We've all fallen in love with associate cricket. That's not the problem here. Does this particular commentator not care? People are trying very hard to get on these streams to call games. And we're lucky we have quite an enthusiastic group who do this. I just don't understand the mindset of someone who's rocked up to commentate a game. Do you not care? Like when you get there, and you start talking. Do you listen to yourself speak? It boggles my mind. And to take it further, what's the end game with Cricket World Cup League 2 here? We hear about fixtures announced and the way that this tournament will finish before the end of the pathway for 2023. But there's no set dates. And 
if again, if we're going to try and sell it to people, we need time. We need to give people time. We can't just say, look, oh, in three weeks, there's a trial series between Scotland, Namibia, and PNG in some far-flung corner of the earth here. There's got to be preparation before there is participation. And I look at this, and it's just this piece of commentary was a microcosm of all the pitfalls that associate cricket's had in the past, where it's really struggled to get the exposure and... We can lay claim to being part of this. You know, we're trying to be the ones to get out there and to publicize it a little bit more. And yeah, there are times where we probably fall down as well. But I mean, if the coverage is poor, how are we trying to market this to people who aren't as interested as us? Because if we're bored listening to this, imagine what people, you know, fans of other sports are thinking of this. It's a dog's breakfast, Tim. Not surprised you came to me on that. And I appreciate you getting off the long run for someone who told us that he's getting sick of cricket. Didn't sound like it. Um, a few things come to mind as you're talking about it and after watching it. In the past, you know, one of the issues coming out of Dubai from the ICC marketing team was the lack of content from emerging cricket meant it, it was really hard for them to, to share it because if you've got no photos or video etc you've got nothing to share and you're sharing file footage or photos and look that only gets you so far don't get me wrong i still think there should have been more effort to it to do it likewise with with written content so now there is that content and i can only imagine when that got sent or at least seen by those looking after the the social channels for the icc would just been oh can we really chop this up like is this something we want to put out you know so Straight away, I was thinking to myself, just need someone to go there and maybe we should have a competition for people to go and actually commentate that, uh, re-commentate your own version of that that last over and we can pick a winner. <laughs> maybe we can send them stickers or something because, you know, you mentioned about, you know, dressing for the job you want. You know, I sort of think of a, a Daniel Norcroft who started on the test match sofa or at least with Gorilla uh, Radio and now he's now commentating for the BBC. You know, there, there are people getting picked up from these opportunities from unlikely places, from pirate radio, from hopefully from these pathway events. And yeah, there's a huge elephant in the room called COVID that has meant a lot of these events are not being organised in the, the time frame that they'd hoped. But that is, that's part of the excuse. You know, there's still timelines for these leading up where people could be planning to get there. Yes, we've just had an under-19s World Cup, which has meant the bald eagle will be coming in hot from, from the West Indies <laughs> when um, <laughs> Andrew Leonard lands and we're hearing boundary fours and maximums um, frequently when we have the, the men's T20 World Cup qualifier group a happening and we can get onto that a little bit but yeah look i agree with everything you said around that the actual type of, of commentary and it's a tough gig if you've been alone ranges into silver but you're a professional commentator and you come down to ex- exciting finish exactly as you said so the content that this is creating is probably doing more damage than good and it's such a, a great story you know and let's not even get to the, the the quality of the coverage with these matches that were in oman with three cameras I'm guessing this is exactly what we're going to be getting for the World Cup qualifiers, which is just I'm really annoyed. It's shameful what they've done to this event. Yes, you've had to split into two because, and you've got more teams, but at what cost? I know we talked about it last week, and I don't want to go over the same ground, but the fact that we're coming up to this event, we're going to have four games a day. That's two games played in parallel at each time. So we've got Andrew Leonard and Peter Della Pena there, but there's only one of those two who's a lead commentator. And Lenny can't be doing two games straight all day, every day. Where's been the announcement about the fixtures? Where are the team previews? Where, where are anything? You know, I'm seeing 
press releases about the Women's World Cup and the history of, and that's a, a huge event, of course. But this event is happening too, and it's been happening for a long time, and, and there's nothing. So that tells me either there are not enough resources the ICC and or the priorities are just wrong. And I know that you're probably going to have to sit on the fence with replying to this, Bez, because you do a lot of this work in, in the background from a, a digital point of view. But what we've lost in the, the in the coverage of the men's T20 World Cup qualifier has not been gained in the coverage of Cricket World Cup League 2, Challenge League, and the and the qualifier structure. You know, if having our time over again and, and what's what's been dished up, I'd take it no streaming and being sought out by the boards and have a proper coverage, proper television, proper broadcast of the men's qualifier. Apparently, now we talked in the past about successful events, 2015, the highlight of those when the ICC made millions of dollars on the deal with Sky and um, the feedback from sponsors, etc. In the ICC's own accounts for 2019, the ICC men's T20 World Cup qualifier 2019 has a an income of 15.9 million US dollars. And I realize this this has been apportionment from a global media rights deal, but we're in the middle of that same media rights deal. So why would you take away an event that has that much money in your accounts, which tells me that's that's what it's worth, and then and then dishes up what we're gonna have here. You know, we've gone into the damage of the deleting of any um, qualification through Cricket World Cup league structures in the future will have about creating a situation where leading associates and lower four members are not going to be playing against the, the top four members unless it's worth the while for the media rights to, to leading four members opening the door to one-sided games in World Cups and people calling for smaller World Cups because there's no guaranteed games. You know, we could have an expanded Super League with smaller pools and fewer teams qualifying, but what that would do is guarantee the matches for smaller full members and and the larger associates. And the flip side, here we've got the global event, supposedly a global event included in the TV media rights deal leading up to a, a World Cup later this year in Australia being treated like a pathway event with three three cameras. I'm just really annoyed. And on, on one hand, I'm sitting here from a, a Vanuatu point of view and I'm really happy that all the events that the men's team and the women's team compete in, the World Cup qualifiers, the T20 mode, and from the men's point of view, that the, the Challenge League... But on the other hand, as a cricket lover and wanting the game to grow, showing what was the pinnacle of men's associate cricket, at least from a you know do or die event with with associates in it, which had the chance of associates proceeding, it was this event, and and it's been killed. You know, it, it is what we're going to get as compared to it, and really disappointing. You know, the advantage for people like us, I guess, is that we're really going to want to go and watch and cover these events. Because it's not going to be easy for John or Joan Q. Citizen to turn on the TV and watch it as it was in the past. But that's, that is irrelevant to what we're getting at here. So I know I've sort of I've started on one road and jumped over to another one there, Bears, because I don't think I'd add much to what you said. But it really does go hand in hand. The fact that this was the level of commentary that we had and this is passable to the deal and nobody said to get into his ear and say, look, you've, you've got to get a bit more personality because you sound like you're falling off to sleep. Where's the quality control? And now we're going into a supposedly a global event under the media rights deal, getting the same treatment. Yeah, the, the only thing I would add there, Tim, is that I think from a digital standpoint and, and having a bit of an inside track on all of, all of this, having worked on it, I think it was just a case of, well, we've got one global event and another 19 World Cup happening previewing the women's cricket world cup which is around the corner and i think that the qualifier 
stuff will probably come in earnest a little bit closer to when the actual qualifier is on. But in saying that, you would think in an ideal world there'd be a little bit more attention, a little bit more hype in the lead up to it, especially with it being a new format and as disappointing as it is to to have it in three camera streams, we'll all still be watching. And to make sure that, that people are sort of up to date on all of this, the 16-team qualifier has been split in half into two eight-team qualifiers. And then of those eight teams, the uh, teams are split into two groups. The top two will qualify for the semi-final, And then the two finalists are the two qualifying teams for the T20 World Cup. So we've got the A qualifier coming up this time next week, roughly, to, to when you're listening to it. So let's have a quick look at Group A. Being hosted once again in Oman seems to be a bit of a hub of international cricket at the moment. I think we can all get behind that with uh, them hosting such a a great T20 World Cup and and everyone working there in the same direction. Bahrain, Germany, Ireland and UAE make up Group A. Group B, Canada, Nepal, Oman and the Philippines. Eyeballing the two groups, you would think that Ireland and UAE are favourites in Group A. Germany should pose some sort of a threat there. Group B, to me, looks a little bit more open with Canada, Nepal, Oman and the Philippines. You would think that Nepal and Oman... Well, Nepal and Canada would probably fight for second and third here. We'd probably say that Oman would be favourites. Canada have a little bit of history from the qualifier in 2019 where they beat Ireland, unfortunately, for Unic. It all ended in disappointment, unfortunately. But where do we see this going? The top two first play second of the other group in order to try and reach the final and then... There, there is a final, although it's it's academic who wins that tournament. I suppose with seedings and groups, and falling into which group you sort of want to during the the first round of the T Twenty World Cup, it's important on that front. But Nick, just having a quick look at at these groups, what did you make of them, and how do you see them panning out? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right in that it seems pretty straightforward that Ireland and UAE are going to come through Group A, um, Germany. Um, they have, you know, they have some handy players, um, but I think they're a bit underwhelming in the the regional finals where they came second behind Jersey, and you know they they lost to Italy once and they barely got past Denmark even, which to me indicates that they're not firing on all cylinders. So you know you, you'd hope that they're um, you know they they can build a bit of cohesion there, um, although you know the the conditions uh, in Spain are pretty different to um, to, to Al Amarat, so you know, re- read into that what you will. Um, Ireland, <laughs> yeah, still a bust, I guess, uh, coming in off a, a great PSL. Um, but, um, you know, the rest of their batting looks pretty fragile, especially with no Kevin O'Brien, which I think is a, a strange decision, even though he's, uh, you know, he's getting on uh, in years. But in terms of their T20 side, he's definitely still in the best 11, in, in my opinion. Um, I think bowling's probably Ireland's strength with, um, you know, guys like Adair, Young and Little, uh, all pretty handy with with fast bowling and and the seam friendly tracks in Oman, so so that'll hold them in good stead. Uh, Bahrain as well in that group, um, I think, with all due respect, probably going to come fourth. Um, although you know you, you never know against Germany, UAE, um, yeah, Ahmed Raza's boys, as we've said, yeah, they're looking like a real handful. We didn't even talk about Ahmed Raza in that series, and he, he picks up a number of wickets at a very tidy economy rate, as well as uh, leading very effectively. So the UAE. Again, will be will be a real threat. Uh, looking across 
to Group B. Canada, I, I mean, I think Canada's squad's solid, although missing Nitish Kumar, missing Nikhil Dura, which I think is a bit strange. Uh, Kumar not getting time off from his work in Texas. Uh, some rumours that potentially they're chasing ace contracts uh, with, with the minor league and, and trying to play as locals. Uh, I don't know how true that is. But, um, you know, on the flip side, it's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a short tournament, so we don't have time to choke or fade <laughs> as, uh, as Canada often does in, um, <laughs> in ICC events. So maybe that's a, a silver lining of, of the, um, you know, the, the, the rejigged format. But, um, you know, on paper, I think the batting actually looks okay with Navneet Daliwal and, and Rayan Patan finding some form at the top in, in the regional qualifier. Uh, Hamza Tariq was uh, unstoppable in the West Indies. Hopefully, Ravi Singh can find some of that explosive six-hitting form he, he was in pre-pandemic. Um, the bowling, interesting that it's kind of more heavy with spin with, with guys like Salman Nazair, uh, Saad bin Zafar, Junaid Siddiqui, all, all uh, experienced and, and quality spin bowlers. But the, the fast bowling stocks, I mean, aside Dylan Haliger, look pretty flimsy. So, I, I don't know what Canada's play there is. Um, Oman... I think we more or less know what to expect in terms of the uh, the squad. Um, probably, uh, you know, maybe lacking a bit of dynamism if Jatinda goes early. Um, I think their bowling's probably their strength, and and guys like as we know, Bilal Khan can can blow away a top order in no time at all. Uh, Nepal, uh, yeah, some exciting talent, but we've seen over the sort of Christmas break, we we haven't talked about it too much, but uh, there's there's a bit of squad turmoil. Sandeep's captaining, which I don't think he has before. Um, you know, Kushal Bertel and, and co, the young crowd uh, with the bat will, will be key at the top. But I think it's interesting. I wonder how Ginandra Mala will be going because he's had the captaincy yanked in favour of Sandeep. And I, I don't know what the logic for that was. Um, but um, yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, instability around the team as <laughs> is unfortunately so often the case. Um, and yeah, Philippines, look, I think they're lucky to be here if we're honest. Um the East Asia Pacific qualifier that they came through was a level above anything they've been to before. And, you know, this tournament is another level again. They got away with a no result after PNG put up 200 against them and that ended up being the difference, The you know, the point they got out of that. Um, ahead of your your boys, Tim, um, they, they went ahead of Vanuatu. Uh, so, yeah, I think they will really struggle. And unfortunately, uh, there's a pretty good chance that you know, qualification to the semis out of Group B will be just determined by who beats the Philippines by the most to get the net run rate boost, which is you know, not a great situation. Um, Richard Goodwin for the Philippines is an interesting case. Uh, he's he's a rugby league international as well for them, so not too many dual internationals these days. Uh, John O'Hill, the, the skipper, uh, experienced grade player, but um, again, I just think they're a class below in terms of talent, and and it'll show. John O'Hill was was one of the guys that I met uh, over in the Philippines when I, I covered the uh, the sub regional tournament, and yeah, lovely guy uh, has a really good attitude to, towards um, you know captaining the the side and and leading. But unfortunately, I think they are just a bit outclassed. So I guess if we're doing predictions, I'd say Ireland and UAE, Canada and Oman. It's it's the hope <laughs> it's the hope that gets you. But um, uh, let's say Canada beats Ireland and, and UAE beats Oman. So there's my uh, there's my uh, hopeful predictions. Well done there. Didn't even take a breath. In the meantime, <laughs> Daniel Beswick has just devoured cheese between two sayos. Well, we didn't notice <laughs> I was it really on the video version of the podcast. That will be released really sometime hungry. when it gets better internet. Um, just, yeah, just yeah. imagine Daniel yeah, Beswick with the aircon blowing in the, the background uh, yeah. in his jumper, <laughs> middle of February, south coast of New South Wales. <laughs> 
Um, pretty hard to go against anything you said there. Yeah, the only the maybe I think is that third spot or second third spot in Group B, as you said. And look, there's some good players in the Philippines team, and we've seen each of those three teams that they'll be playing against have brain explosions in global events. This is very true. <laughs> um, so. You never know the experience with it. You know, there's a lot of hard-nosed Australian grade experience there. That pride of of playing for the Philippines, you never know what could come through. So encouraging to see how they go. And you talked about that qualifier. It wasn't look, the rankings we've talked about over and over again. It was a five-over game that both Vanuatu and the Philippines were desperate to get out there to play. Well, Vanuatu were desperate because. If they won Vanuatu, there's still a chance of then beating PNG in the next game. So that point may have assisted, and there was no result. But I'm not sure that would have offered any rankings points. I'm pretty check, pretty sure I need to check that. But it was that five-over game where Vanuatu did not play well. So if you looked at a straight shootout, is that one game? If Vanuatu had won, um, they actually had to get a disclaimer, I think, saying that you know they were playing in a field that everyone had said wasn't wasn't safe, but both teams were happy to play. And that, that is what happened. So you mentioned that game and poor old Jamal almost goes into tears. Um, it's it's fresh and everybody knows that that was the difference between Vanuatu being there with the Philippines. So it was in their, their own hands really when it comes down to it and games that had been lost in the past against arguably weaker Pacific countries in, um, in multi-sport games here had an effect as well. But uh, yeah, Germany... You know, having Dieter Klein in the in the squads, you know, it's good, but I don't want to go all all first class experience, um, starry eyed. Michael Richardson is in the squad now as well after sort of being around and and playing in the qualifier last time. Just hoping he gets his cadence better because I remember that game where he got to the winning target quite slowly mm. was probably what cost. Germany progressing from the qualifiers last time, so I think there'll be a lot of lot of eyes to him and a lot of hope from Germany that they um, they knock off one or two of the big boys. So yeah, look, it's a it's a quick tournament. As Bez mentioned, the first games are on the 18th of Feb, and then the game days the 18th, 19th, and the 21st. That's for all groups, as I said before, they run in parallel, and then the the semis and finals get straight in. But the, the the main games. The semi-finals are on the the twenty second, and then the finals on the twenty fourth. But as you said, the inconsequential that final, but only good for potential funding and whatnot. As we've talked about the Hong Kong story a lot before, but they're your key days. Everyone, as you uh, got your pencils out and your uh, your calendars, are the the eighteenth, nineteenth, and twenty first for all the all the group games, and then the semi-finals are on the twenty second of February, which will see the top placed team in each group play against the second place team in the other it's not as clear cut if we think of the last time we saw a structure like this the women's t20 world cup qualifier with the teams really fighting out to to not be playing against bangladesh you know that was a standout team and teams didn't want to play we really don't have anyone like that in the way that the groups have stacked out and not that they've been stacked but the way that they've they've finished you know that group b with Canada and Paul Oman fighting out for two spots is going to be great. But also when we get through to the end of the event, I think, you know, it's Muggs game picking cricket at the best of times. But at the moment, you know, Ireland, UAE, geez, 
go either way, really. If we, if we assume that they win all their games against other sides, it's going to come down to the game that they play against each other, which is interesting to note that they have not scheduled the games against the the would-be favourites on the last day, the last match, as has happened in the past. You know, On the last day in, in Group A, we've got Germany, Ireland, followed by Bahrain, UAE, and then in Group B, we've got Canada, Nepal, Oman, Philippines which you could say basically that they put all the teams playing against each other that would not be ranked sort of one and one and two, which is interesting considering they normally love to have a quasi qualifier as the last, the last group game. So that, that actually seems deliberate. So I'd be interested to talk to the, uh, uh, what is it in the hunger games? Is it the games master um, who, <laughs> who's, uh, who's put all this together because it won't necessarily come down to that that last game to see who places where although it will you know in the, the group sizes that we're looking at so it's wham bam thank you man we're here for eight days and uh that's the shortest global qualifier from men's cricket that i think we've seen well in over a decade isn't it i think you go back to 2012 it was it was bigger it was 14 team comp mm. um and before so i know it's two groups of of eight to get to 16 team qualify but this is this is really quick so it's going to be exciting and uh as you said nick there's no chance for any team to kind of be going real really well and choke because uh once you once you stop and sort of brush yourself off will be the end of the tournament uh, yeah and you've got to jump straight in there's no time to to get yourself warm and, and ready to go you need to be ready from the very first ball and yeah just to finish up I, i'm i'm scratching my head as uh in regards to the the kevin o'brien a mission, I just think even with the experience that he brings and, and that alone, he would add something to that Irish team, whether you play him or not. Um, and to think that there isn't a whole lot of depth in Irish cricket at the moment, to have probably the greatest bat of all time on the sidelines or at home, uh, for, for me, I, I find that quite perplexing not to have that in, in any situation or in, in any regard at all. I find that quite strange. Yeah, looking forward to watching all of it begin on the 18th of February. And again, yeah, to talk about a team like Nepal under a new captain in Sandeep Mamachane, also a key storyline of the tournament. Just to finish up, boys, uh, we've seen the European Cricket League, the second tournament start this week. It's a five and a half week tournament. So it's a slow burn. Look, we will sort of move into it slowly ourselves, but it's a 30-team tournament that's begun in Malaga in Spain. Five groups of six concluding on March 18. Group A is underway with Austria Cricket Tigers and Tunbridge Wells of Kent doing the early running. Hamid Shah took an excellent catch uh, for Svanholm as well. Uh, and as we know, VOC Rotterdam are the defending champions after winning the inaugural tournament back in 2019. We'll have plenty of coverage on that as the tournament unfolds. Uh, but for now, wherever you are listening around the world, thank you for listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. And to keep up with all the news and events from the game's new world, make sure to visit EmergingCricket.com. But on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy the rest of your week.